0: We're going to read the bible together now and our reading today comes from luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 22 it's on page 7 of your zines jesus full of the holy spirit left the jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil he ate nothing during those days and at the end of them he was hungry the devil said to him if you are the son of god tell this stone to become bread When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good afternoon, my name is Paul White. I'm one of the assistant ministers here at Churchill. It's always a a great joy and and very exciting to me to be invited um, down to preach uh, and open up God's word um, with you guys. Um, And so along those lines, it would be really lovely if you could open up uh, that order of service, if you don't have it in front of you, on um, pages 7 and 8, um, we're going to look at Luke 4, or even better still, if there's a Bible in your pew or on your phone, um, I'll be sort of a bit before Luke 4 and a bit after as well, so um, if you want to have that, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. But first of all, how about, I, how about I pray before we get started? Definitely Father, thank you that uh, in your word there is life, and life to the full, and so please fill us with life uh, this afternoon through the power of your Spirit, Uh, as we marvel at the wisdom of your son here in Luke 4. Uh, It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, the season of Advent is upon us. And I'm not sure if that word, Advent, means a great deal uh, to you. Um, Traditionally, Advent, uh, sort of in the church calendar, is a time of expectant waiting and preparation uh, for the celebration of the birth of Jesus at Christmas and also uh, for the return of Jesus at his second coming. Uh, In fact, if you're not up with the ancient terminology, well, advent in Latin uh, means coming, and the Latin word adventus uh, in turn is actually a translation of the Greek word from the New Testament, uh, parousia, which is commonly used to refer to the second coming of Jesus. And so we have advent, uh, the first and second comings of Jesus, and so at Church Hill to prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, and also to raise our vision uh, to His second coming in this Christmas season. This Advent at Church Hill, we're seeking to stand alongside the first-century witnesses of Jesus and marvel with them at, at Him. Uh, sorry, it's a I'll start a little technically, but there's this word in the, in the Greek language of the New Testament that turns up time and time again. At the coming of Jesus, and the word thaumadzo, and that word means to marvel, to wonder, to be amazed. Now, these are the same emotions that we're seeking to stir in our own hearts this Advent as we prepare to celebrate the birth of our Saviour. In fact, see there, uh, verse 15, and everyone praised him. And then later on in verse 22, at the end of our passage, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They were astonished. The first century witnesses of Jesus were were filled with wonder. They were amazed at all that Jesus said and did. And so we want to stand alongside them this Christmas at Church Hill, which is all well and good. But what if you don't feel that way right now? What if you're in a particularly dry season uh, when it comes to your walk with God? What if your faith has begun to lose its sparkle? Lauren and I um, and our family have been uh, away camping these past couple of days with our two young boys, Joel and Ethan. And our, uh, if you've camped with young boys, they I tend to kind of sleep in all these awkward angles, and so I spent plenty of time awake when I should have been sleeping. Uh, and as I was gazing at my sons, uh, particularly Joel, I remembered Joel when he was just a, a, a little tiny, tiny baby. I remember when he was barely 12 months old. You know, he used to often wake up in the morning, um, and for a few moments, he'd hold his little chubby hands up in front of his face, and he'd watch in awe as he moved all 10 fingers at once. Little Joel was captivated by door handles and animals of every kind. He he used to stare intently at the waves rolling in at the beach, wave after wave. He used to squat down so that he could inspect ants and grains of sand right up close. He loved to touch everything. He was fascinated by texture. He was a little voyeur. He'd stare into every face as as if it had a thousand stories to tell. You see, Joel's little life was filled with wonder. Have you lost the wonder when it comes to God? Has the shine come off your Christian faith? And in fact, is it even realistic to maintain it? I mean, even in Luke 4, if you read the whole chapter... The residents of Nazareth are marvelling at Jesus, one moment, verse 22, but then by verse 29, they're ready to throw him off a cliff. Sure, you want me to marvel at Jesus this Christmas, but what if I'm barely just going through the motions when it comes to my faith? What if I'm just holding on by my fingernails through one of the most difficult seasons of my life? Wonder, amazement, I barely feel anything faith ever be thrilling again? You know, one of the things I I love most about Jesus is his ability to relate to us, uh, because he's walked a mile in our shoes. If you're at a low point in your Christian faith, well, today's passage finds Jesus also in one of the most difficult seasons in his life, too. If you've lost the wonder, if you want to recapture the wonder, then well, perhaps you can do so by seeing what Jesus does when he's at his lowest. But look, just to set the scene, um, this is where the Bible might help, um, today's passage comes as quite a surprise. You see, Jesus' public ministry began um, just before in Luke 3. And as he was being baptised by John the Baptist uh, in the Jordan River, in front of huge crowds of people who'd come out to hear John preach and prepare the way in people's hearts for one greater than himself, that's Jesus, um, The the one whose sandals, the Bible says, uh, even the great John the Baptist is not worthy to stoop down and untie. Imagine that scene. All all of a sudden, as Jesus is coming up out of the water after being baptized by John, well, heavens are torn open and God the Father thunders and and he, he announces Jesus, his son, and then the Holy Spirit visibly descends upon Jesus, anointing him. In God's words in that moment, you are my son, And those words call to mind the kingly psalm two, which is a messianic psalm, in which God's anointed king comes to reign over all the nations of the earth. And so I'm not sure that there could have been a a grander beginning or a more powerful endorsement of Jesus' identity and mission than what happens in Luke three. And here we have the greatest preacher of the day passing the baton to Jesus. God the Father announcing from heaven uh, the coming of his Son, the Messiah, the Holy Spirit visibly filling and anointing Jesus for kingship, and all this in front, all this in front of thousands of zealous Jews uh, that John had been firing up through his preaching for Jesus' coming. But then, verses 1 and 2 of today's passage, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the, into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end, of the he was hungry. Which, when you think about it, is really quite strange. I mean, if Jesus is the Messiah, God's all-conquering king, shouldn't the Holy Spirit, who's just anointed him as king, be sending him to Jerusalem to take up his rightful throne and bring an end to Roman domination forever? but instead the Holy Spirit sends Jesus off on his lonesome into the wilderness. What's going on here? I mean, John the Baptist has prepared the way and the thousands have been cut to the heart by his words, a veritable army of people who no doubt with John's encouragement would follow Jesus and help him reclaim God's holy city by force. And yet Jesus leaves them all behind and heads out on his own into the wilderness. Why? The answer is that Jesus, the the Messiah, God's anointed king, didn't come to do battle with the Romans. He hasn't come to conquer Caesar. He's come to conquer the true prince of this world, Satan. Jesus hasn't come to free, free his people from Roman occupation. He's come to free all people from slavery to Satan, sin, and death. And so his first skirmish, his first battle, if you like, isn't with someone as insignificant as Caesar Augustus. It's with Satan himself. Jesus' first act as the Messiah is to go out and do battle with humankind's greatest adversary, Satan. You see, it might feel like your faith is running dry because of the pressures at work. Or, you know, anxiety over a relationship or something like that. The Bible shows us that well, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The presenting symptoms of a growing apathy towards God find their root cause in the devil's schemes. That's, that's Ephesians 6 paraphrased if you feel then that your faith is flagging you need to realize that you're under spiritual attack you see that there's a battle going on and the staging ground is your heart and the degree to which you're thrilled in the presence of Jesus this christmas is a good indicator of who has the upper hand in this moment See, in the biblical vision, two kingdoms are at war, and we're caught up right in the middle. The tensions, the conflicts, the escalations are real. The King of God is at war with the kingdom of this world, and we find ourselves on the front line. Now, on the cross, Jesus may have won the war, but all manner of battles are still raging, with Satan bent on taking down as many people with him as possible. See, defeated enemies who have nothing to lose are the most dangerous kind. And our adversary is is deadly. The Bible gives him lots of names, and I'm just gonna list some of them here. These names that all add up to give you a picture of his character. Satan is the slanderer, the tempter, the tester, the accuser, the adversary, the father of lies. The Bible says that when he lies, he speaks his native language. He's the prince of this world. He's the small g, God of this age, who has the power to blind people when it comes to God, and whose spirit is at work in unbelievers. He's a murderer who prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. You know, Satan's been at his work in our world as the prince of this world for millennia. A subtly crafting and shaping culture to deceive and lead as many people away from Jesus as possible. And to make matters worse, we go out every day into this war zone with a traitor in our midst our own sinful flesh, our fallen human nature, our body of death, as Paul calls it in Romans 7, ready to undo us at every turn. happily, in today's passage, Jesus steps into the ring and goes toe-to-toe with our adversary in order to show us how it's done. And so if you're losing the wonder, if, if your faith is on the rocks, if you're barely holding on under the weight of some temptation, well, Jesus knows exactly how you're feeling, because he's been there. Have a look in Luke 4. Satan's pulling out all the stops in order to throw Jesus off course, just like he may well be trying to do in your life right now. Uh, It's this moment and Gethsemane for Jesus, the two hardest seasons of his life. And you know, moments uh, like these are precious for us because in them Jesus shows us how it's done. And so I want you to notice two things uh, in our passage today, Uh, two things that I think have the power to carry us through the most difficult seasons of life which means if you're dry, uh, well, these two things can fill you with wonder again. They can help you marvel anew at Jesus this Christmas, even if those feelings are the furthest from your heart right now. So firstly, do you notice how Jesus defends himself in this passage against Satan's onslaught? I want you to see that, that, that Satan wields lies, but Jesus wields the truth. See, Satan's trying to undermine Jesus' relationship with his Father and short-circuit Jesus' mission. Just like Satan may be using all his wiles and devices to deceive you, to lure you, to dampen your faith and put some distance between you and your Father, to throw you off track. Satan wields lies, but Jesus wields the truth. We see here Jesus defeats Satan with Scripture. In one of the darkest moments, in Jesus' life, he clings to scripture. In fact, he doesn't speak a word other than scripture. If you cut Jesus, he bleeds scripture. In his weakest moments, Jesus is mighty in the scriptures. Well, look there, everything that Jesus says. Verse 4, there Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man does not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And then verse 8, there Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6.13. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then in verse 12, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It is written. It is written. It is written. If you're not feeling the wonder at the moment, how's your Bible reading going? Because if scripture isn't coursing through your veins, you're defenseless in the heat of battle. See, there's a war going on out there. There's a war going on in here. It's a war of words, a web of lies. The kingdom of this world, the small g God of this age is preaching at us through our Netflix account and our Instagram feeds and the culture of our workplaces. And the only thing that's going to cut through, cut right through all of that, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Ephesians 6.18, which, well, isn't much use to us if we're going out to battle each day with our Bibles at home, collecting dust on the shelves. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's, It's just prayed full of life and life to the full. If you're under attack, if if your faith is flagging, if you've lost the wonder somehow, watch your faith roar back to life. Unchain the lion. (laughs) Be thrilled again in the presence of God by opening up his word in new and profound ways this Christmas. Well, that's the first thing I'd like you to notice in today's passage. It is written, it is written, it is written. Verses four and eight and 10 and 12 and 17. If it's written, are you reading? And secondly, did you notice how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this passage? Verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then in the synagogue in Nazareth, it's a sermon in Jesus' hometown, there's a bit of pressure. Well, Jesus gets up to preach, and how does he start? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recover his sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, Are you feeling imprisoned. Well, how did Jesus do it? <laughs> how did he overcome temptation and weather one of the most difficult seasons of his life? And how did he do it? He did it by being filled with the Holy Spirit. How are you going to do it? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you feeling dry at the moment? If So you need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. You feeling oppressed, imprisoned, increasingly captive to temptations, sinful temptations? We're so you need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Do you want to marvel again at Jesus this Christmas? If so, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You see, He's the thrill. He's the rush. He's the wonder. He's God's active power in your heart and in our world. The Holy Spirit's at work when the Father and Son feel most close, when your faith feels most alive. So ask God to be filled by him. Pray for more of him. Walk in step with him. Don't don't quench him. Don't put out his fire by sinning again and again. After all, he's the, the Holy Spirit, right? which means if you're stuck in some cycle of unrepentant sin, well, you're going to find it hard to be filled by him. If you're caught up in some besetting sin, if you're taking secret delight and streaming those shows on Netflix filled with nudity and, and graphic sex scenes and all of that, well, is it really any wonder that you're not feeling particularly close to God at the moment, not particularly filled by the Holy Spirit at the moment? I mean, He's holy kind of incompatible then with some of the things you've been up to, some of the things I've been up to. Which means for some of us, if we're to recapture the wonder this Christmas, well, we need to begin by repenting. So in the end then, uh, there are really no surprises here. What, what causes us to marvel? How can we be filled again this Christmas with wonder at what God has done for us in Jesus? What fills seasons of, of dryness with abundant desert flowers and streams of living water? The answer is God's word and his spirit. The two, as we've seen in our passage today, are so often working hand in hand together. Which uh, takes me to, to staff meeting um, this past week. and you know I was kind of tuning in and out, as you do, uh, and then uh, Rowan spoke up. And when did so, he caught my attention. Rowan's often, you know, a little bit quiet and stuff, meeting, but he's really wise. And so when he does speak, you, you listen up, right? Uh, and he sort of shared that some, some of you guys are doing um, a thing called a summer shred over Christmas. And then when I heard that, um, I'm getting to an age where you just look a glass, at a glass of wine, and all of a sudden, somehow, it materializes on your stomach. And so I thought, right, oh, I I need some of that summer shred thing. Um, and I suppose I, I should have twigged when sort of. We then found out that it was Dylan Chowell, uh, who was the boot camp instructor. Uh, But I didn't sort of catch up so quick. Um, In fact, I remember one of the female members of staff quickly pointed out that Dylan hardly needs to to train. Sorry, Dylan. Um, I don't quite know what he was meant by that. But um, (laughs) either way, so it turns out, um, to remove the suspense, Dylan's summer shred, uh, which he's got from some other good places, uh, I'm sure, Um, and no surprises here, perhaps if you you know Dylan, Dylan's summer shred is, in fact, to read or listen to the entire Bible uh, in the three months over Christmas and New Year. And Ron went on to tell us that he's already got stuck in. Uh, Apparently, he's listened to the first, the other day, he listened to the first 18 chapters of Genesis uh, while doing the washing. And, you know, he was excitedly sharing uh, with us uh, what he'd been reminded of by doing that. And you know what? I thought, perhaps there's a parable right there. If your Christian life right now feels like relentless loads of washing, then perhaps you need to ask Dylan after church how you can get involved in this this sort of Bible reading program over Christmas. If you know as well, Dylan's summer shred uh, reminded me of a story I once heard about a a famous uh, Christian man in in, in the States by the name of John Broadus. and uh, He was the founder of the Southern Baptist Seminary in the U.S., uh, and th- this great work, um, if you've heard of the Southern Baptist Cemetery, well, it was, it was disrupted by the American Civil War. And when John Broadus came back from the war, uh, he only had seven students. So he was committed to doing his best for Jesus. Uh, and so it was during this period that he wrote one of the greatest ever books, uh, books ever written on preaching. And this book, um, On the Preparation and Delivery of Sermons, Uh, became the standard preaching textbook for almost a century. And get this, he wrote this book uh, when his preaching class was filled with just one man uh, who was blind. Well, three weeks before he died, um, Broadus stood before his students. And the scripture reading for the day was from Acts uh, 18.24 in the King James Version, which reads, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Well, Broadus went on to say, gentlemen, we must be like Apollos, mighty in the scriptures. A student later said that a hush fell upon that class for the next few minutes, as Broadus stood and repeated over and over again, mighty, in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures, mighty in the scriptures. Be mighty in the scriptures this Christmas. Be filled with the Spirit this Christmas, and you will marvel anew at the presence of Jesus. If you're in a tough season at this moment, well, Jesus' words today are for you. Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. A little further on, because of Jesus, the spirit of the Lord is on you, because he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, in the busyness of this month and in our resolutions for the coming year, help us to remember you. Please renew in us a deep desire to know you more deeply so that we can love you and each other so much more. And please send us out this afternoon in the power of your Spirit with a new resolve in our hearts to make Jesus known and to live lives worthy of the calling that we've received in great joy and wonder as we continually
0: marvel at the work of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen.